0: Freedom doesn't need more cheerleaders shouting partisan slogans. It needs thoughtful, principled disciples of liberty. Deep down, we all know that freedom and liberty matter. This is where we discuss why they matter. It's time to elevate the discussion. Welcome to the never ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Hey, welcome to the Loving Liberty program. All right, we have a lot to talk about today, and one of the first things we're going to discuss is how suddenly you are a lot more mainstream if you are a conspiracy theorist. Now, I'll get to this in just a moment, but you probably have an inkling of what I'm talking about here. Uh, conspiracy? Why? It's not just for the fringe; it's not just for the tinfoil hat wearers anymore. I think, uh, as of as of last Saturday, it's going mainstream. Now, I want to I want to share with you kind of an interesting juxtaposition, though, because Saturday morning when everybody else was going, oh, my goodness, Jeffrey Epstein, apparently, allegedly killed himself in his jail cell in Manhattan. And I know that's that is just loaded with uh, possibilities, because of his ties to some of the most powerful people in the world, some of the most influential people in the world, and some of the things that he is, well, not only accused of, but actually convicted of being a part of, that may connect some of those very powerful people to, likewise, dirty deeds. So, yeah, it's, it's terribly, terribly convenient that he died. Um, I didn't know anything about this, though, at the time. And here's why. Saturday morning, I, on a whim, took a little bit of a break, and at my father-in-law's invitation, uh, took a quick fishing trip with him. We ran off to Hagerman, Idaho, which if you're not familiar with Hagerman, it is just, it is one of the most beautiful corners on God's earth. It is such a gorgeous place, especially this time of the year. I, I don't, don't even know how to describe it other than it's, it's where the Snake River widens out it's where the, the great flood from 20,000 years ago, uh, when Lake Bonneville overspilled its banks and roared across the Snake River Plain, uh, you know, it cut a very deep canyon, which runs past, you know, Twin Falls and, and uh, some of the surrounding towns there. But uh, in the Hagerman area, it, it widened out. And so it dumped just billions of tons of fertile soil and just great stuff. Anyway, things grow like crazy. It's, it's a beautiful farming area. Uh, it's also very popular with wildlife. The Hagerman National Wildlife Refuge is there every year. Millions upon millions of ducks and geese and other waterfowl that migrate come south for the winter. And that's where they like to hang out. It is also home to some of the world's most incredible fisheries. And uh, I'm sorry if I'm boring you with this trivia, but to me, this is just fascinating. Um, underneath the Snake River Plain is an aquifer. I don't know how deep it is, several hundred feet underneath, but it's it's per- percolating through basaltic rock and it is underground for a couple hundred miles at least. But when that water reaches the walls of the Snake River Canyon near Hagerman, it comes out of those walls at a precise 56 degrees Fahrenheit, and it is crystal clear. It is pristine. I mean, you can drink it safely right from the fountains that just shoot out of the out of the side of the cliff there, and and it's not going to get get you sick. There's nothing to pollute it. It is just as good and cold as can be. But 56 degrees Fahrenheit apparently is the absolute optimal temperature of water if you want to raise trout. And so there are numerous fish hatcheries all along that, uh, I guess it would be the north edge of the Snake River Canyon. There are uh, a number, there's actually a steelhead hatchery that the federal government operates down there. And from this, they they grow fish and take fish and anyway, they they populate uh, fishing areas all over the state. And I presume all over the West with these fish that, that grow in this perfect water that comes out of the canyon walls. It's really quite incredible. Very, very green. I don't know if, if you've driven through southern Idaho and you thought, that's oh, just sagebrush and, you know, you know, volcanic rock. There's really not that much to see. No, you get down into the canyon and it is just, it's beyond beautiful. So there I was with my father-in-law, enjoying the sounds of wildlife. There are geese honking overhead, bullfrogs, big bullfrogs, probably the biggest polywogs I've ever seen in my life. We saw at this little fishing place. It's called Oster Lakes. And this was not something I had planned. We ran up to Idaho to visit family, but I, I really hadn't planned on going fishing. And when I learned, okay, one day out-of-state fishing license will only cost me thirteen fifty, I was like, yeah, what the heck? Actually, I had to borrow a pair of shoes. I brought good shoes with me, so I wasn't <laughs> wearing my fishing <laughs> shoes. And uh, away we went. And it was a really successful day. Here's the part. It's going to sound like I'm bragging, and maybe I am a little bit. Um, the fishing was very good. I got action. Lots of action. Took home three, let at least twice that many go. Yes, maybe a couple of them were what we call the LDR, long distance release, but (laughs) I didn't want to clean fish. The only ones I kept were ones I'd I'd hooked them deep enough that it was like, ah, darn it, I'm going to kill them getting the hook out. So I killed them and cleaned them and, you know, we kept them. But there was something so therapeutic. I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but it... There was just something very healing standing out there on the water as the sun was coming up before it got hot, which it did. It got extremely hot later that day and very few people around just calm, peaceful. I was in a place where uh, my cell phone service was was pretty bad. So, you know, surfing social media wasn't even a temptation. And I only share this with you because, uh, you know, you think, well, you just wanted to work in a fishing store here. Yeah, I kind of did. But. The best part of this whole thing was I wasn't immersed in what's going on. It wasn't until later when we got back to town that afternoon that I, you know, found out, oh, look at this. Jeffrey Epstein apparently uh, suicided in air quotes. I got to say, there was something about that. uh, What was it? Six hours or so of no social media, no news media whatsoever. I kind of had forgotten how beautiful and how peaceful and how right the world can be. And so I'm not suggesting that, hey, by by telling you this, you should just, you know, log out of your social media accounts and never, ever come back. But there's something to be said for taking a break every so often. A little tolerance break to to get your mind right. Sometimes it takes two or three days. If you if you use social media a lot, it can take a couple of days before the anxiety goes away and things start to look normal again. It just took a matter of uh, a couple of hours, and I found myself just absolutely appreciating what a what a beautiful place to be. My father-in-law is a very cool guy to hang out with, and so we were we were having a good time. And on top of it, I was actually catching fish, which, as you know, makes a makes any fishing trip just that much better. You know, you're not guaranteed you're going to catch fish anytime you throw a line in the water. That's why it's called fishing, and not catching. But with all the crazy stuff that's going on, don't forget to take a, an occasional break. Give yourself just a little respite every so often to to tap into the things that that really do matter. In this case, it was it was more about time with family, more about enjoying some of the natural beauty that's there for anybody to enjoy if they just want to open their eyes and, and pay attention to it. And less about the need to be right there in the middle of everything. Oh, I know everything that's going on now. I'm, I'm totally caught up. I understand. I understand that it's fascinating, and, and and I am somewhat of a news junkie. I admit it. I want to know what's going on in the world. But man, it seems like we've just had a lot of bad news lately. Or if not bad news, at least divisive, conflict-generating news. And as much as I'm trying to to take the high road and not uh, devolve down into the furball that uh, somehow erupts everywhere on social media, when people discuss these events or issues, I find myself, you know, I want to put this person right. I want to set them straight. Either they got something. Somebody's wrong on the Internet. I need to do something about it. Let me just go on the record and say sometimes it's a real blessing when the Internet isn't there. When you don't have that temptation to just log on and scroll, scroll, scroll for something interesting. I had forgotten how much the simple pleasures of putting a worm on a hook and tossing it out into a pond and trying to, uh, you know, outwit a fish. I forgot how great that could be. And because I used to live in southern Idaho, you know, I kind of I kind of have some sentimental feeling there. My heart uh, still, you know, draws me back to to the good times. And there's there's a unique smell around waterways like the Snake River. You know, if you if you've ever lived near the ocean, you understand what I'm talking about. The the salt smell of of uh, coastal areas is something that people. Oh, yeah, I love that smell. I feel that way about the the kind of uh, murky smell that you get around the Snake River. Speaking of murky, we're going to talk about some murky things here when we come back on the other side of this break. We're going to discuss a little bit about the how, how everybody is a conspiracy theorist now, whether they know it or not. One of the things I want to share with you, though, is what do we actually know about the Jeffrey Epstein death? Because there's a lot of rumors running around, as you might expect. There's a great article on LewRockwell.com. I'm going to share that with you. Look, the bottom line is we don't know as much as we'd like to know. And at the bottom of it all, we still have to ask ourselves, tell me again, why does this matter? I think I have an answer and I'm going to take a crack at it, but you'll have to wait for that. The other side of these messages. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. All right, we are going to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, the Jeffrey Epstein uh, alleged suicide. I know when when I finally did hear the news, someone said, Hey, Jeffrey Epstein suicide? My first thought was, Okay, again? You know, because he was found a few weeks ago, uh, apparently uh, injured in his cell. He was under suicide watch, but uh, man, some really remarkable coincidences may have happened. But the bottom line is, here's why, here's why this matters. There are some connections to very, very powerful, very wealthy, very uh, connected people that, uh, that have lines directly connecting them to Jeffrey Epstein. In other words, uh, Bill Clinton, I mean, for instance, 26 times flew on the Lolita Express, as it was called, Epstein's private jet, to his private island. And there are other huge names. Is it to Prince Andrew from Great Britain? Wow. Now, of course, a lot of this is, is being vehemently denied, but here's a question that I just want to pose for you. And, and I apologize for this. I know it, this. Here's the danger zone for me. This is very salacious stuff. Ooh, you know, it's it's of a sexual nature and, oh, involving underage girls and pervy old men. And 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 so, you know, that's titillating news always seems to get you know, our attention. And this isn't for the I, I don't share this with you just so that, you know, people can, uh, you know, indulge some of their their base uh, imaginations. And ooh, I wonder what they were doing. If people who are in positions of power. And I'm talking politicians or very, very wealthy individuals. If they are so adored, generally, or so used to adoration, is it reasonable to think that some of them might actually get the idea that, you know what, I can do whatever I want? I am not only so admired or so sought after, and people wish they could be me, but that kind of puts me above the law. I have influence that other people don't have. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's a kind of pride, maybe even crossing the line into hubris. I'm not bound by the same laws of morality as you people are. It's a very uh, aristocratic attitude. One set of laws for you, another set of laws for me and my cronies. And if that's the case, and the truth were... Coming out that showed, hey, guess what? Some of these folks may have violated moral laws. Not just man-made laws, but actual moral laws in such a way that even the most politically possessed person would have to go, ooh. Uh, do I want to risk being the one trying to defend that in public? Because, hey, what's what's wrong with that? Sleeping with underage girls or encouraging them to perform intimate acts on you? What? What's the problem? I don't think you'll find very many corners of the world where people are like, ah, shrug, it's okay. He's cool. He's rich. He should be able to get away with it. Uh-uh. That kind of stuff is looked on as, ooh, that's, that's go to prison for life kind of stuff. That's, that's the kind of thing the prisoners themselves will exact a sort of justice because the, the person who is an abuser of women and children tends to be in the very lowest caste of criminals. It's dangerous for them. They put them in general population, population in prison, and there's a darn good chance they're going to get the crap beat out of them, or stabbed, or something. But I have to wonder: was somebody getting a little too close to the truth, particularly the kind of truth that could shed the light on just how contemptuous? Some of these actors, these people, not just, you know, movie actors, but some of these people acting in very high positions of trust or power have been. And I don't know that uh, Epstein's death necessarily keeps things from, from coming out. It's, it's interesting to me that if, if what I'm reading here is true, if, if the suicide, such as it's called, took place within 24 hours of certain court documents being released... That almost sounds like somebody had a fail-safe plan in place. Hey, we've got to stop this guy somehow. Let's talk for a moment about what we know about how Jeffrey Epstein died. This is from Joe Martino from Collective Evolution. And it's an article that seeks to, to stop some of the rumor mill stuff that, unfortunately, is gaining a lot of traction right now on social media. Joe Martino says, Jeffrey Epstein allegedly committed suicide in his lower Manhattan cell on the night of August 9th, 2019. He was found lifeless in his cell where he was then given emergency treatment and rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Although the mainstream media keeps calling this a suicide, there is absolutely no evidence of a suicide. And without any proper investigation, we can't come close to saying what really happened. Epstein was 66 years old and was set to stand trial in 2020 for allegedly sexually abusing dozens of minor girls in New York and Florida. All right. So what do we know? Number one. The Department of Justice said Epstein died of an apparent suicide and said the FBI was investigating the incident. Just as a quick side note, how much trust do you have for the FBI? Based on what I have seen in a couple of incidences that were a little closer to or a couple of incidents that were closer to home involving the the Bundy family and the Finicum family. I don't know that the FBI has quite that sterling, trustworthy reputation that they think they have, but OK. They're going to investigate. Number two, most of mainstream is sticking to stating this was a suicide, but there is no evidence of suicide. His cause of death is still unknown. He was simply found lifeless in his cell and rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Number three, so far as some theories, uh, so far some theories have come forth of people claiming it's not really his body. He's still alive. They faked his death. And Joe Martino says, as of now, that evidence is weak. Thus far, we at Collective Evolution have not been able to see any real validity to this. Number four, claims of camera malfunctions in his cell went viral, but so far there is no evidence of this. And that's precisely why we said, stay within the facts and grounded in the truth before making false claims viral and turning a lot of people off to the truth and story. And number five, Epstein's death came within 24 hours after long-sealed documents were released by a federal court in a since-settled lawsuit against Epstein's ex-girlfriend by Virginia uh, Guiffre, one of Epstein's accusers. Now, U.S. Attorney General William Barr says he was appalled after hearing that Epstein could have died of an apparent suicide while in federal custody. Barr went on to say, Mr. Epstein's death raises serious questions that must be answered. In addition to the FBI's investigation, I have consulted with the inspector general who's opening an investigation into the circumstances of Mr. Epstein's death. Now, here, Joe Martino says, look, when things don't make sense, it's natural to want to explore theories as to why... And he says, I believe we should do this with Epstein's case. This case has the potential to awaken a lot of people to how our world really works due to how high profile this case is. So there's the silver lining right there. The reason all of this is important is because for those that are just hearing of Epstein in the last six months, most of what they've heard is, oh, yeah, he's Trump's good friend. But like many things, this is a political ploy and it's a good one to use if you're Trump's opposition. The truth is, there's not strong evidence, or there isn't any strong evidence, that links Trump to what Epstein regularly did. On the other hand, the evidence linking the Clintons to what Epstein was up to should have put them both in the police station, answering questions immediately. But it hasn't, because these people are able to stay in the shadows for now. Now, if you've been following alternative news for many years, Epstein's story is not new or a surprise. In fact, you probably said to yourself, somebody's going to kill him. As soon as he was arrested, because you understand who this case truly implicates. That said, did Epstein truly commit suicide or did he get killed? Joe Martino says, I'm sure more details will be clear over time. But before you run to the Internet, Instagram and so forth, calling this murder without any evidence. Remember how these circumstances in the public eye act as a great opportunity to awaken people. The more level headed and real we can be about these stories as they develop, the more impact it has on making a difference in waking people up to what really goes on in our world. So take a few deep breaths, center yourself in calmness, and then proceed with sharing, conversing, and analyzing these events. The time for emotional instability within the conspiracy movement is long past. Clarity is now more important than ever. Wild conspiracy theories as opposed to good questions and investigation feed the media machine that just turns this into a fiasco and makes it easy to create a culture of laughing off anything other than the official story. Timely, credible, thoughtful discussion. Without the partisan outrage, this is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty, my fellow conspiracy theorist. <laughs> It used to be a dirty word. In fact, that was what you would say if you really wanted to just tar and feather somebody and make sure, hey, nobody take this guy seriously. He's a conspiracy theorist. But I see a lot of people coming out to, over, the, over the last day or two saying, you know what? I am a conspiracy theorist. I, I don't think we're being told the whole truth. So it's, it's definitely going more mainstream to start noticing things that you're not supposed to notice. Now, I'm going to caution you, though, if, if you uh, if this feels like, well, then let's go, you know, pedal to the metal, Captain. Let's go see, you know, where this conspiracy takes us. There are so many different theories out there that you could you could seriously spend a lifetime chasing after all of them. I mean, once you choose to go down the rabbit hole, so to speak, uh, there, there's just no end I used to have a book. I probably still have it somewhere around here. I've had a couple of moves and haven't seen it in a while. But um, it was called The 101 of the World's Greatest Conspiracies. And I mean, it covered everything. It had everything from, you know, uh, Hitler had Foo Fighters that flew to a secret base underneath the South Pole to um, you name it. Bigfoot, (laughs) the Loch Ness Monster, all kinds of stuff the UFO crash at uh, Roswell in 1947, all of that stuff. But you know something really interesting? The truth of the matter is, uh, when it came to those conspiracy theories, there was always, in every single one of them, some grain of truth that at least led to, lent some plausibility to what was being claimed. The problem is, once you start chasing conspiracies, it becomes very hard to stop. And there's enough stuff going on out in the open it might just be a waste of some of your finite time and resources. At least that's my take. All right, let's go to the telephone, 801-331-8113. Hi, welcome to Loving Liberty. Sam calling. Good morning. Good morning, Sam. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Where I wait. I think that's a good place to start. Now, Sam, I'm going to stop you here because, uh, again, I'm, I'm on my backup recorder. So for the podcast, nobody is going to hear your phone call, unfortunately. I can't record. I tried. To, I tried, and it was feeding back, and I don't. I don't want to subject you to that, and and it sounds bad on the listener's end. But um, I will have my computer back in place as of later this morning. My skimmer, and so maybe to, maybe tomorrow we could pick up and talk about this because I, I would love to get your take on it. Okay, thanks, Sam. Sure, appreciate hearing from you. My apologies to you, the listener. We uh, we we had a, a computer suddenly experience some kind of a technical malfunction ah another conspiracy no I'm I, I'm kidding but um, anyway I, I took it in over the weekend and it's being repaired I got to go pick it up this morning and hopefully I'll have it hooked back up and uh, you know happily recording everything as normal um, normally it wouldn't be that big of a deal To be like oh yeah well whatever you know so we missed the recording here but um, the podcast's this is this is where people come and listen and I don't want to deny you a chance to hear Sam's observation as well as other callers so my apologies to you but I'm doing the best I can and unfortunately the way that uh, I'm set up to record it uh, it would be tough for you to understand because there would be so much feedback Let's talk conspiracies for a moment here How did consp- How did we get the the whole phrase conspiracy theories Ron Oons, writing for the Oons Review, um, talks about what he calls American Pravda, how the CIA invented conspiracy theories. And I thought this was a very interesting take, not just applied to Jeffrey Epstein, but to, you know, any of them. He says, a year or two ago, I saw the much-touted science fiction film Interstellar, and although the plot wasn't any good, one early scene was quite amusing. For various reasons, the American government of the future claimed that our moon landings of the late 1960s had been faked, a trick aimed at winning the Cold War by bankrupting Russia into fruitless space efforts of its own. Now, this inversion of historical reality was accepted as true by nearly everyone who claimed that Neil Armstrong had indeed set foot on the moon, Uh, everyone who claimed that, uh, the few people who claimed that, rather, were universally ridiculed as crazy conspiracy theorists. And he says, that seems like a realistic portrayal of human nature to me. Now, obviously, he says a large fraction of everything described by our government leaders or presented in the pages of our most respectable newspapers, from the 9-11 attacks to the most significant local case of petty urban corruption, could objectively be categorized as a conspiracy theory. But such words are never applied. Instead, use of the highly loaded phrase is reserved for those theories, whether plausible or fanciful, that don't possess the endorsement stamp of establishmentarian approval. Another way to say this is: there are good conspiracy theories; there are bad conspiracy theories. With the former being the ones promoted by the pundits on mainstream television shows, huh? Russian collusion, and uh, <laughs> and hence never being described as such. He says, "I've sometimes joked with uh, with people. I've sometimes joked with people that if ownership and control of our TV stations and other major major media networks suddenly changed." The new information regime would require only a few weeks of concerted effort to totally invert all of our most famous conspiracy theories in the minds of the gullible American public. The notion that 19 Arabs armed with box cutters hijacked several jetliners, easily evaded our NORAD air defenses and reduced several landmark buildings to rubble would soon be universally ridiculed as the most preposterous conspiracy theory ever to have gone straight from the comic books. Into the minds of the mentally ill, easily surpassing the absurd lone gunman theory of the JFK assassination. He says even without such changes in media control, huge shifts in American public beliefs have frequently occurred in the recent past, merely on the basis of implied association. In the initial weeks and months following the 2001 attacks, every American media organ was enlisted to denounce and vilify Osama bin Laden, the purported Islamist Islamist mastermind, as our greatest national enemy, with his bearded visage endlessly appearing in TV and print and soon becoming one of the most recognizable faces in the world. But as the Bush administration and its key allies prepared for a war against Iraq... The images of the burning towers were instead re- regularly juxtaposed with mustachioed photos of dictator Saddam Hussein, bin Laden's arch enemy. As a consequence, by the time we attacked Iraq in 2003, polls revealed that some 70% of the American public believed Saddam was personally involved in the destruction of our World Trade Center. Now, he says, by that date, I don't doubt many millions of the patriotic but low-information Americans would have angrily denounced and vilified as a conspiracy theorist anyone with the temerity to suggest that Saddam had not been behind 9-11, despite no one in authority having ever explicitly made such a fallacious claim. He says, the factors of media manipulation were very much in my mind a couple of years ago when I stumbled across a short but fascinating book published by the University of Texas Academic Press. The author of Conspiracy Theory in America was Professor Lance DeHaven Smith, a former president of the, political, of the Florida Political Science Association. Based on an important Freedom of Information Act disclosure, the book's headline revelation was that the CIA was very likely responsible for the widespread orchestration of conspiracy theory as a term of political abuse having orchestrated that development as a deliberate means of influencing public opinion. I'll wait for a moment for the shock to wear off. Okay, you're doing all right? Okay. During the the mid-1960s, there had been increasing skepticism publicly about the Warren Commission's findings that a lone gunman, Lee Harvey Oswald, had solely been responsible for President Kennedy's assassination and growing suspicions that top-ranking American leaders had also been involved. So as a means of means of damage control, the CIA distributed a secret memo to all its field offices requesting that they enlist their media assets in efforts to ridicule and attack such critics as irrational supporters of conspiracy theories. Soon afterward, there suddenly appeared statements in the media making those exact points with some of the wording arguments and patterns of usage closely matching or making those exact points rather. And matching CIA guidelines. The result was a huge spike in the pejorative use of the phrase, which spread throughout the American media, with the residual impact continuing right down to the present day. Thus, there's considerable evidence in support of this particular conspiracy theory, explaining the widespread appearance of attacks on conspiracy theories in the public media. Now, don't go away because we're going to up the ante. Wasn't it just recently the FBI was talking about how people who believe in conspiracy theories may be prone to domestic terrorism? Hmm, what if there's a legally enforceable way to make sure you don't subscribe to them? Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. We are talking about conspiracy theories, and and there are no shortage of new conspiracy theorists now that Jeffrey Epstein is allegedly dead by his own hand, or so we're told, uh, just before a bunch of really interesting information was likely to come out in his trial that might connect him to some of the most powerful people in the world, and particularly to, um, shall we say, Uh, Human trafficking, sexual trafficking of uh, underage girls. Yeah, there's not a lot of not a lot of those very elite, powerful people who want to be uh, seen in that light. I think they know that our tolerance will only go so far. And, uh, you know, on the bright side. Suddenly nobody's talking about uh, how evil gun owners are. Apparently that outrage has has uh, run its uh, course. Isn't it crazy how the news cycle just oscillates from one to the next to the next? I mean, what took Jeffrey Epstein out of the headlines? Well, it's because there was a mass shooting. No, there were two mass shootings. And uh, suddenly, you know, it's it's gun control and it's red flag laws and it's, you know, assault weapons and bans and Congress has to do something. But uh, Epstein managed to bump that right off the pedestal. And now he's back in the spotlight again, probably not in the way that he would have wanted to be. But but there he is. So what do you make of this? Ron Oons points out that uh, although the CIA appears to have effectively manipulated public opinion in order to transform the phrase conspiracy theory into a powerful weapon of ideological combat, The author of the book that he talks about, Conspiracy Theory in America, describes how the necessary philosophical ground had actually been prepared a couple of decades earlier. Around the time of the Second World War, an important shift in political theory caused a huge decline in the respectability of any conspiratorial explanation of historical events. Apparently for decades prior to that conflict, one of our most prominent scholars and public intellectuals had been historian Charles Beard, whose influential writings had heavily focused on the harmful role of various elite conspiracies in shaping American policy for the benefit of the few at the expense of the many. With his examples ranging from the earliest history of the United States down to the nation's entry into World War I. Now, obviously, researchers never claimed that all major historical events had hidden causes, but it was widely accepted that some of them did, and attempting to investigate those possibilities was deemed a perfectly acceptable academic enterprise. However, Beard was also a strong opponent of American entry into the Second World War, and he was marginalized in the years that followed, even prior to his death in 1948. Many younger public intellectuals of a similar bent also suffered the same fate, or were even purged from respectability and denied any access to the mainstream media. At the same time, the totally contrary perspectives of two European political philosophers, Karl Popper and Leo Strauss, gradually gained ascendancy in American intellectual circles, and their ideas became dominant in public life. Popper, the more widely influential, presented broad, largely theoretical objections to the very possibility of important conspiracies ever existing— suggesting that these would be implausibly difficult to implement, given the fallibility of human agents. What might even appear a conspiracy actually amounted to individual actors pursuing their narrow aims, but even more importantly, he regarded conspiratorial beliefs as an extremely dangerous social malady, a major contributing factor to the rise of Nazism and other deadly totalitarian ideologies. Meanwhile, Strauss, a founding figure in modern neoconservative thought, was equally harsh in his attacks upon conspiracy analysis, but for polar opposite reasons. In his mind, elite conspiracies were absolutely necessary and beneficial, a crucial social defense against anarchy or totalitarianism. But their effectiveness obviously depended upon keeping them hidden from the prying eyes of the ignorant masses. His main problem with conspiracy theories wasn't that they were always false, but that they might often be true. And therefore, their spread was potentially disruptive to the smooth functioning of society. So as a matter of self-defense, elites needed to actively suppress or otherwise undercut the unauthorized investigation of suspected conspiracies. Now, even for the most educated Americans... Theorists like Beard, Popper, and Strauss are probably no more than just vague names mentioned in textbooks, and that was certainly true, says Ron oons In my own case, but he says while the influence of Beard appears to have largely disappeared in elite circles, the same is hardly true of his rivals. Popper probably ranks as one of the founders of modern liberal thought, with an individual as politically influential as left-wing or as left-liberal financier George Soros claiming to be his intellectual disciple. Meanwhile. The neoconservative thinkers who've totally dominated the Republican Party and conservative movement for the past couple of decades often proudly trace their ideas back to Strauss. So through a mixture of Popperian and Straussian thinking, the traditional American tendency to regard elite conspiracies as a real but harmful aspect of our society was gradually stigmatized as either paranoid or politically dangerous, laying the conditions for its exclusion from respectable Discourse. Now, Ron Unz says by 1964, this intellectual revolution had largely been completed, as indicated by the overwhelmingly positive reaction to the famous article by political scientist Richard Hofstadter critiquing the so-called paranoid style in American politics in which he denounced the underlying cause as the underlying cause of widespread popular belief in implausible conspiracy theories. To a large extent, he seemed to be attacking straw men, recounting and ridiculing the most outlandish conspiratorial beliefs while seeming to ignore the ones that had been proven correct. For example, he described how some of the more hysterical anti-communists claimed tens of thousands of red Chinese troops were hidden in Mexico, preparing for an attack on San Diego. While he failed to acknowledge that for years, communist spies had indeed served near the very top of the U.S. government. Not even the most conspiratorially-minded individual suggests that all alleged conspiracies are true. Merely that some of them might be. Now, Ron Unz says many of these shifts in public sentiment occurred before I was born or when I was a very young child. And so my own views were shaped by the rather conventional media narratives that I absorbed. Hence, for nearly my entire life, I automatically dismissed all the so-called conspiracy theories as ridiculous Never once, even considering that any of them might possibly be true. It's a fascinating read. And hopefully it, it, it puts a few things into perspective. By the way, I will link this on the show notes page in the podcast. And I'm also going to throw a link in there to uh, the incredible backstory behind Jeffrey Epstein. This is uh, this is way more than I would have time or even interest in covering in this program. But John Rappaport is one of the best analysts of what the media has become. And he has some terrific investigative pieces that uh, he can point you towards uh, that ask some some very relevant questions. I'm not going to say they have all the answers, but they definitely ask the right questions. Here's what I would ask you to keep in mind. The word conspire as defined by Merriam-Webster, means to join in a secret agreement to do an unlawful or wrongful act or an act which becomes unlawful as the result of a secret agreement. Now, would any person in their right mind deny that such a thing happens? Or that this is likely a thing that would happen to some extent, even among the powerful in their own nation? The other thing that you want to pay attention to, though, is there is... uh, there's an increasing crackdown on free speech, particularly as it as it applies to conspiracy. Yahoo News reported earlier this month, the FBI recently published an intelligence bulletin describing, quote, conspiracy theory driven domestic extremists as a growing threat. Well, you put that together with red flag laws and it sounds to me like you'd have quite the the, you know, toolbox to either disarm people. Well, he's not in his right mind. He believes conspiracy theories. Or to just simply brand them as dangerous. I mean, come on, we've got establishment narrative makers pushing for new domestic terrorism laws. If this is one of the criteria by which you can recognize a potential terrorist. Tell me that that wouldn't chill any kind of discussion or discourse. Caitlin Johnstone says this combined with the fact we can't even ask questions about extremely suspicious events like Jeffrey Epstein's death without being tarred with this meaningless pejorative by the mass media. Thought police means that we're at extreme risk of being shoved into something far more Orwellian in the near future. I know that sounds kind of alarming. It's not my intention to to frighten you or scare you in a particular direction. But I'm definitely saying it's, it's worth paying attention. And it's okay to ask questions. And if you see something that you're not supposed to see, it's okay to say something about that as well. The idea that, uh, well, you know, conspiracy theorists may be the new extremist we need to be watching out for should tell you that maybe some powerful people are feeling like we're getting a little too close to learning the truth. Why would they not want us to know the truth? credible, thoughtful discussion without the partisan outrage. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network.